see you do it again. You're certainly talking as we go through Acts, as Paul was thinking that. What's God? He's going to see what God's going to do again. And uh, we want to welcome you this morning, especially if you are here for the first time as a guest. And obviously those who are online, we're thankful y'all are worshiping with us today as well. And I want to remind folks that we uh, have communion every week if you are a guest for the first time. And hopefully you got one of those packets when you came in. If you didn't, you can sneak out at some time and grab one of those. We'll do that a little bit later in the service. And after communion time... Uh, we have Will and Donna Snyder here today. They're going to talk about their work with the Yoy people, and uh, we're going to give them a little bit of time a little bit later in the service as well. All right, so let me ask y'all a question. Um, how many of y'all remember Blockbuster Video? How many of y'all remember that? Okay. Now, some of you younger people in here that were born since 2000 or maybe a little before 2000 probably go, what, what are they talking about? So um, before um, Netflix... Um, you used to obviously have to go to the Blockbuster stores, this big yellow and blue store, and you have to walk through the different aisles of videos. They were VHS at the beginning. Ask your parents about what VHS is, all right? And you'd watch the DVDs, and you'd pick one instead of paying what was like $30 a pop back then if you wanted to buy one, and people said, well, I'll just rent it for a couple of dollars. And you'd give them your blue and yellow Blockbuster card, and you'd rent the video, and then, you know, two weeks later, you'd go, oh my gosh, we haven't returned that yet. And you might as well have just bought the video because you had so much in late fees. Remember that? Okay. Now some of y'all are going, what? You know? And, uh, and Blockbuster started adding candy and other stuff in their stores. But in 2000, there was a guy named Reed Hastings. I don't know if that name is uh, familiar to y'all. But he was a guy who was starting a fledgling business called Netflix. And he went to talk with the CEO of Blockbuster about possibly doing a partnership with them. And he got laughed out of the office. And Blockbuster goes, no, no, we don't want to do that. That's a dumb idea. We're, we're going to go right, stay right where we are doing the stores, and, and we're, we're perfectly fine. Well, we know in the next 10 years that Netflix became the largest sto- source of streaming Internet. They experimented. You remember with the subscription thing? You remember when we did that? And go, no late fees. This is awesome. I signed up, didn't y'all? No judgment here. Go ahead. All right. So for the next 10 years, they became the largest source of streaming internet traffic in North America with over 20 million subscribers. And then in the next 12 years up to 2022, they are really the leader in that, aren't they? How many of y'all have Netflix? You know, raise your hand. No judgment here. Okay, see, we all have it. And what happened to Blockbuster? It's a Verizon store now in Noonan, the old one. Remember over there at Thomas Crossroads? So I say all that to go, wow, what would have happened if Blockbuster would have been willing to talk with Reed Hastings and say, hey, yeah, let's talk about it. That's a great idea. I'm not sure I understand it, but let's, let's experiment with that. We've got, the, you know, we've got the resources. You've got the idea. Let's partner together and see what could have happened. And I don't know the answer to that. You know, would it have been a different name or, or something like that? I don't know. Would it still be called Blockbuster? I don't know. But they didn't, and now... That strategy didn't change. Their partnering with someone else was not going to be in their wheelhouse, so it proved fatal for Blockbuster. But today we're going to look at how the Apostle Paul consistently was willing to work with other people in partnerships to get the gospel of Jesus Christ out. He realized and recognized the importance 
of people have good ideas. People are, are, are on the same page with getting the kingdom work out there. They just need to partner with people who have resources and have ideas at times. And, and Paul was certainly willing to do that. And this willingness to partner with others and try new strategies proved to be very, very important. And it was an important conversion factor in bringing folks to a relationship with Jesus Christ. So we're going to continue our series, Conversion Factor, as we look at Acts 18. So a certain person in my family this week said to me, how many more weeks are you going to do on that series? <laughs> and I said, well, just two more, this one and next week. And, and they actually have some ideas about my next sermon series. So I'm very interested to hear what their ideas are because I certainly don't want to not partner with someone. But anyway, we've got a couple more weeks in Acts. But I hope you all have enjoyed this as we've gone through Acts and see how the great commission that Jesus gave to all those followers at that time on that mountaintop has gone. And it's actually, I mean, we are products of that great commission. We're products of what happened in Acts today. And it certainly worked. God absolutely knew what he was doing. So we're going to look at Acts 18. And if you remember from last week, Paul has been in Athens, and he's been talking to some very intellectual people, and they're listening to him. They're not really sure they understand who this Jesus is. They're not really sure they understand about this resurrection thing, but they're listening to Paul, and Paul is making some converts, and some people reject him, but still there are converts being made. So now he's going to leave Athens, and he's going to Corinth. Listen in chapter 18. So after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Tatius Justus, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. While Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him to the place of judgment. This man, they charged, is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to them, If you Jews are making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names and your own law, settle the matter for yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. So they drove them off, and then the crowd there turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue leader, and beat him in front of the proconsul. And Gallio showed no concern whatsoever. All right, so we're going to stop there. And uh, Paul, as I said, leaves Athens and he goes by himself to this big city of Corinth. And if you remember, Luke who is the author of Acts, is telling us all about these missionary journeys. And Luke has left back when they were in Philippi because we read, as we read along Acts, you'll hear the word we a lot. 
And Luke is saying, we did this, we did this. That means Luke is with Paul. But then all of a sudden we see a, a, a kind of a shift. And all of a sudden we don't hear we anymore. We just hear Paul then went and all these things are happening. So Luke's still writing about it. But he's not actually with Paul in some of these chapters that we read. So he's been gone. And then if you remember also, um, Paul left Berea suddenly. Because some of the Thessalonica Jews were causing a riot there. And he went to Berea and they tried to follow him there. And Paul and Silas stayed in Berea, but yet Paul went on to Athens. So they've been separated. So Corinth, he's going to Corinth, this big city by himself. It was the largest city in Greece at this time in, in history. It was a, a capital of the Roman province of Achaia, and it was certainly a Roman colony. And this city was infamous or famous for its immorality, and that issued from two sources, the transient uh, sense of the city of people that are coming in and out from all different parts, kind of like maybe Las Vegas or something. You go there, and you know what stay, what you do here stays here, and then you go back out. But people came back in to this city, and also the other thing was the uh, temple to the to Aphrodite, who was the Greek goddess of love, that was in Corinth. And the devotees of this temple promoted immorality in the name of religion. As a matter of fact, there was in the temple there was over a thousand temple prostitutes, and part of worship was sexual immorality. And so it was very popular. And it stood on this Acro Corinth, which was about an eighteen hundred foot um, flat top mountain just outside the city, and that's where this temple sat. So you can see why Paul later, when he would write First and Second Corinthians to these people, a lot of those issues in those two letters deal with sexual immorality because that was what was going on in this city and people are transforming from those kind of things. So Paul may have felt a little overwhelmed going by himself to this huge city with all this sexual immorality that's going on. And Paul even says in his first letter to the Corinthians, he says, I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. So Paul was a little, had a little intrepidation as he goes into Corinth. But Paul recognized, I'm by myself now, I'm going to have to have a source of resource, a source of income to continue this ministry. So he's looking for a, a resources where he can work in some way to get food and lodging. And so it, he meets what, what you probably saw is Aquila and Priscilla, this couple who was in ministry, um, who were Jewish and they had been displaced from Italy, as we read, as the Emperor Claudius. It says, I want all Jews out of Rome. And they were forced to leave. They were persecuted and had to leave. But again, as we've talked about so many times, the authorities, the political powers that be in this first century thought they were going to squelch Christianity and every move that they made to do that only ended up making it grow in different ways. So we see now that this couple who ends up out of Italy, out of their home uh, over here in Corinth is actually going to be very instrumental in the growth of the gospel of Christ. And that's very exciting. So Paul probably, if you heard there, it says Paul went to see them. And because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. So Paul on the side was a tent maker. And obviously in that time, tents were needed for a lot of different things. It was interesting, all the different things I read about this week that people used tents for in the um, first century. But Paul was a part of that, and he works with them. And they just so happened to be Jewish, and they just so happened to be converts to Christianity. So Paul probably worked with them during the week, and then on every Sabbath, as we read, he would go into the uh, synagogue and reason with the Jews and the Greeks and go, I want you all to know about Jesus. All this Old Testament stuff is pointing to a Savior. 
It's pointing to a Savior, and that Savior was Jesus Christ, who has been here, you know, very closely here in Jerusalem, and that's where he died on the cross and he rose again, and I am here because of him. I'm sent because of him. Y'all need to understand this, so he reasoned with them. And in verse 5, it tells us that Silas and Timothy arrive in Corinth, and Paul is able to exclusively now to devote his time to preaching because he's got his team back with him. He's partnered with uh, Silas and Timothy before, Timothy before, and they're continuing on. So once again, Paul has issues with some Jews in the synagogue who, as he's debating and trying to reason with them, they will not hear this reasoning, and it says they become abusive. And in verse 6, Paul, as you read, he shook out his clothes, and he says, your blood's on your own head. I'm, not, I'm leaving. I'm not coming back here. I've tried to give you this message. Your hearts are hard, so I'm done. I'm moving on. And he left. And he says, for now I will go to the Gentiles. But that's exactly... Paul always had in his heart for his own people. But when they became stubborn and obstinate, he goes, I'm done. God has sent him to the Gentiles, and that's where he went. So it said that Paul went next door to the house of Tatius Justus, who is a Gentile, but he's also a believer who offered hospitality to Paul. And he goes, man, I heard about what happened with the Jews. I heard they kicked you out of the synagogue, or you're leaving the synagogue because they're so abusive, but you can come to my house, you can stay here, you can have people come and do your teaching here. And he offered that um, to Paul. And the synagogue ruler, I don't know if you caught this, his name is Crispus, and his entire household, the leader of the synagogue, although there were people who were abusive to Paul and had hard hearts, his heart was not hard, the leader of the synagogue, and he and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many Corinthians heard Paul and even heard Crispus and his testimony, and they believed and were baptized. So something good did come out of this. So what we do realize too is that Crispus, as though he's the leader of the synagogue, y'all realize he lost that title. He's no longer, oh, you've converted to Christ? Well, the Jews are not going to stand for him to be the synagogue leader. So he loses that position. Now, Paul may have had some thoughts of leaving Corinth because of this opposition, because he's experienced this before. Like I said, everywhere he went, it ended up into a riot. So But in verse 9, it says, The Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. He was very clear to Paul. Don't be afraid. Keep on speaking and do not be silent. You may be getting discouraged, Paul, but keep on speaking. He says, For I am with you. No one's going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. And again, Paul be going, Well, show them to me because, man, this is an immoral city. But he's already met some. Priscilla and Aquila and now Crispus, and, and he's, he's meeting these folks, uh, uh, Tatius Justice. So he's already meeting, God does have a lot of people in there, and I'm going to partner with these people to, to do what I'm supposed to do. So next we see this, uh, this whole incident with some Jews who brought Paul into court, uh, again, with these baseless charges. And interestingly, God answers this very thing he's told Paul in the vision. He goes, don't worry about things. You're not going to be attacked. When he usually goes to jail, he gets thrown into jail. Sometimes he got beat. But on this case, the pro-counsel basically says, no, not in my court. I've been, through, I've been down this road before with some of you Jewish people. You have all these laws. You have all these religions. And nobody really seems to understand it. But you're bringing these charges. It's not about a misdemeanor. It's not about a real crime. Work it out for yourselves. And then Crispus has been demoted, you can't be the leader of the synagogue, and there's a new leader of the synagogue called Sosthenes, and the people get mad because they can't do anything with Paul, so they beat the synagogue ruler. That kind of tells you what kind of church this was, what synagogue this was. But of course, Christmas is probably going, Woo, I'm glad I finally got demoted, because if that would have been me, they got the beat down. So well, what I want us to see here is the various partnerships that are formed just in these few verses alone. 
Paul entered Corinth alone, but he recognized, I need ministry partners. I can't do this ministry to people by myself. I need people to help me, to support me in sharing the good news of Christ. And his team had been separated since Berea, and they come in. But even before they come back, Timothy and Silas, he's already got some new team members. The first were Aquila and Priscilla. And again, this is a not only a team of separate people, but a team that is a team as a husband and wife. They are Jews, but they are also believers in Jesus Christ, and they become partners immediately with Paul. Can you imagine some of the amazing conversations that they had while they're making tents about the kingdom of God? Because not only did they have this thing they do together as a trade, but they also have in their hearts and their minds that Christ is who we follow, and they're excited about what's happening as they go, we're ending up here And look how God has already brought us together as partners. And later they are mentioned about seven times in the New Testament. If you read the end of chapter 18 here, Paul will later go to Ephesus to check that he hears there's a church there. And uh, Priscilla and Aquila go there with him. And they are very instrumental in partnering with a man named Apollos that they meet who is a believer in God, but he doesn't quite know all about Jesus Christ. And they take him under their wing and they share with him about Jesus Christ and uh, as, as the scripture says, the way of God more accurately, and they're willing to do that because they see the value that Apollos has in this whole mission of God in, in, the, in, the, um, in this, this world. So later Paul mentions them in his letter to Rome. Apparently they got to go back to Rome after they had been displaced there. Listen to what Paul writes in Romans 16. He says this, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. And not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Paul recognizes that these two were very instrumental. When he went into Corinth not knowing, should I form a partnership with these people? But he did, and they become very instrumental in the churches of the Gentiles. And it says they even risked their lives. We don't know exactly what they did, but Paul knows they literally risked their lives for him and the sake of the gospel. So what if Paul had rejected partnering with this couple? Well, I don't know. Y'all don't make tents quite as good as I do. And I don't know if I want to partner with somebody else that doesn't make tents as good as I do. I don't really know y'all. Y'all are from a different part of the world than I am. I know we're, we're from the, the Rome area, but I don't really know you. But no, he immediately saw this was an opportunity to partner with someone. And then the next couple people were Silas and Timothy. Of course, Paul had already partnered with them. He had been in jail, as we read about a few weeks ago, with Silas. He'd been in prison with Silas. He knew that Silas was faithful. He knew that he was all about the kingdom of God. And now they have a a young man, Timothy, who's young. But we know, uh, ultimately, that Timothy would be the pastor in Ephesus. And uh, Paul sees that God is working in his life, and he's bringing him along to be a pastor. And they proved to be faithful and godly men who helped and uh, getting the message of Jesus, and Paul recognized their value to the team and in partnering them. But once again, what if Paul had said, oh, Timothy's too young, he's too inexperienced, I don't have time to do all this mentoring. But no, he recognized it was worth the partnering, it was worth the mentoring, and he needed those guys on his team. And then there was Tatius, um, who Paul did not go far from the synagogue when he was abused there. He went right next door, and this is a Gentile who's a believer in God, and he's wanting to know more. He goes, I know how they treated you there. You can come to my house, and you can." And he offered that hospitality for him to teach there for a safe place. But again, what if Paul had rejected that partnership? Hey, I really don't know you. I'm going to wait a while. I want to be in Corinth a few more weeks before I decide to, to partner. No, he recognizes 
that this individual, that every time a door was shut, that God would open another door. Because if God had sent him to get the message of Christ out, God was going to open doors for him. And that involved partnering with other people. And then there was Crispus. Although others rejected Paul in the synagogue there and his message about Christ as the Savior, this man, the ruler of the synagogue, says, you know what, I believe what you're saying. This makes sense. The Old Testament does point to a Savior. And as we read this, and as Paul reads it, he goes, he's right. All these Old Testament scriptures point to this moment in time, and this Jesus, he was crucified, he rose again. This is all pointed to in the Old Testament. And he opened his heart and believed, and he converted as did his family. And as a result, many Corinthians believed and were baptized. And so these are the people who would be the foundation of this Corinthian church that was getting started. And though Crispus lost his job as a synagogue ruler, again, he found something much better in the way of Jesus Christ. But what if Paul had rejected the ruler of the synagogue and said, look, I've had a bad experience with you Jewish leaders, and because of that, I can't partner with you. But he didn't do that. He recognized it was more important to have somebody that could be an ally there in Corinth. Now, this one may seem very obvious, and this partner is God. You know, Paul is a partner with God, and it may seem very obvious, but Paul had to be focused on what God called him to do, and he continued doing it. He says, you are to carry my name before the Gentiles and their rulers, and, and, and Paul is laser being focused on doing what God's called him to do, and because he was focused and obedient, God was able to continue to partner and give Paul partners because um, uh, Paul was connecting with God and saying, I'm doing what you've called me to, to do. And think about the valuable lessons we have because Paul was willing to go and stay in Corinth and listen to God's prodding in his life, his prompting. I want you to stay there. I have people. Think about those two letters of First and Second Corinthians. How many times have we read valuable, valuable lessons from First and Second Corinthians? I have. What would have most of us read at our weddings if First and Second Corinthians had not been had not been written? You know, some go, "What are you talking about?" First Corinthians thirteen: Love is patient, love is kind. A lot of that was read at our weddings, but that came from Paul and out of this church and out of all these amazing partnerships. And God was very clear: "I'm going to be with you, Paul. Stay there. Do not be silent." Paul, God was calling him to stay in Corinth, and Paul listened to that. But what if Paul had rejected that and not been obedient to what God had called him to do? But he was. And then there's an indirect partnership with this guy who was the proconsul, Gallio. Now, after the Lord had assured Paul that you're going to be kept safe, I want you there, stay there, I have a lot of people in this city, Gallio doesn't seem to be care anything about. I mean, obviously, he watched a guy get beaten, showed no concern whatsoever. But this guy actually, Paul is getting ready to speak, and he jumps in and goes, No. Paul doesn't need to speak. I'm not listening to this nonsense. And all of a sudden, Paul's going, what? I've not been in a situation yet where I don't have to defend myself. And sometimes I get thrown into prison. Sometimes I get beat. But this guy's going to stop it at the source and go, no, work it out among yourselves. And so, again, Paul is reminded that even these people that are his in the city, he is using to bring about God's kingdom work. And this guy would not put up with this meaningless uh, nonsense that they were trying to do. So I want to ask all of us for a minute, can you think of a time in your life where you or me, we had an opportunity to partner with somebody, and for whatever reason, and it may have been legitimate reason, you had some skepticism, but you had an opportunity to partner with somebody to do something, and you said, no, I'm not going to do that. I don't trust them. They have a different philosophy than I do, blah, 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 and we didn't do it. And later on, you go, wow, look what they're doing now, almost like the blockbuster Netflix thing. Go, wow, I wish I would have jumped on board of that. 
but I didn't. And you look and see what God's doing because you didn't jump on board. And guess what? God did it anyway. That could have happened. But some of you have also said, hey, I saw an opportunity and I still had skepticism. There still was some risky things here in going into a partnership with this ministry or this person or whatever. But I went ahead and did it and I'm so glad I did because together we have been much better. Now, a lot of y'all know who Dave Ramsey is, right? Maybe you've taken some of his stuff, you know, um, and, and, and he's an amazing guy. He's changed a lot of people's life through his financial peace university. But I remember one of the things he said in his teachings was, the only ship that doesn't sail is a partnership. Anybody remember him saying that in his teachings? And what he means is a lot of times people get in partnerships and it turns out to be a disaster. But that's one of the things I disagree with Dave Ramsey on. Now, I understand sometimes in business, but Paul recognized throughout history, we've recognized that when we partners with others in missions, great things can happen. Jesus, through his great commissions, offers all of us a partnership with him making disciples. God could do all this on his own, but he's chosen us to make those disciples like Paul did. Jesus had a partner that Paul would refer to in his letter to the Ephesians. He said that the bride of Christ is the church. Think about that for a minute. If I want to be friends with you, if you want to be friends with me, and you are married, your spouse, if I say, yeah, I'll hang out with you, but I'm not going to hang out with your spouse, that's going to be a problem, isn't it? So, The bride of Christ is the church. So people that say, well, yeah, I believe in God and I believe in Jesus, but I don't like the church, so I don't have anything to do with the church. Oh, so you're not hanging out with Jesus' wife. I don't know how good that is. Now, that doesn't mean that people don't have legitimate reasons because they've been hurt by people in the church, right? They've been hurt by people in the church, And those people maybe thought they were doing good things, whatever, but they've hurt people. But that doesn't mean we throw the church out and say it it doesn't work because of that. If Paul had done that, he would have quit his missionary journey and just stayed being a tent maker. But he says, no, there's people that are are evil, they're flawed, they're sinful, and they're going to do things that are going to hurt other people. But I still believe in the mission of Christ in the world. And so please don't reject the church because of what somebody did to you. The church is still the bride of Christ. Paul didn't. Millions of others haven't through the years. Even though they were abused by people, they continued on in the work. So together as the church worldwide, we can do so much more than than we can do alone. We don't need lone rangers as a church or as individuals. We need partners. And that's why we support and work with so many different partners that y'all hear about every week. Our partners in missions is, uh, you know, I think about all the partnerships we have and we're going to get to... Uh, to hear from Will and Don a little bit. We've been partnering with them for like, what, 30 years now? You know, that's an amazing thing with the, with the, uh, that they were able to do things that we never could as a church. I thought about some of the others like Casas. What if I just said, yeah, Casas, poor Cristo, I think y'all do a great thing there in Guatemala, but we can do it better as a church. So we're just going to go down there on our own and, and try to build a house for somebody by ourselves. It would be a disaster. I think about Global Scope. Over the years, when we first heard about Global Scope, there were some things I was like, no, they're going to do what? That's a neat idea, but how are they going to do that? And 20 years later, I go, amazing things that God has done through that vision. And we partnered with people that were on board with that. And I think about what if we had not partnered with them? We would have missed out on being a part of what God's doing in a different part of the world, different parts of the world. And so partnerships are so important in God's kingdom. So I'm grateful for those partnerships that God reveals to us and allows us to partner with him the bride of Christ. I want to just share an, uh, an illustration uh, about how a Chinese ministry 
this guy was kind of going solo as a missionary, but someone spoke into him an opportunity, and this is what he did. So listen to this article I read this week. This guy's name is, uh, he was a missionary in China, and they called him Uncle Daniel. It says, Uncle Daniel spent years as a missionary to China's rural villages, and there he said it was like the book of Acts, complete with miracles, exorcisms, and mass conversions. And from 1982 to 1992, he experienced arrest persecution, and tremendous success planting churches in the Henan province. But Uncle Daniel says, I started very, very poor. And while I was very poor, I had no home. I had a wife, I had children, but very little food. And at the time, he considered it a spiritual badge of honor to be poor and not have all these things as he was a missionary. But he says, a Christian brother came to me and talked to me and said, I was wrong to neglect my family. Instead, the man suggested to Uncle Daniel, I would like to help you start a business. And there's that ship thing again, partnership. It's like, why do I need to start a business? I am a missionary. But after 10 years as a missionary, Uncle Daniel's family called him back home to the southern coastal city of Wenzhou, and I'm probably butchering that, but now owns and directs a number of factories in this rapidly growing city. Yet Uncle Daniel still considers himself a missionary. For me as a businessman, he says, I put it in this order, increasing my business productivity to build God's kingdom and send out his servants. That is the three-pointed triangle of my life. And because of people like Uncle Daniel, churches are springing up like bamboo shoots in the city, and these churches send out missionaries, including many to the Middle East. And no matter what country these missionaries move to, they are fully supported by the profits of the city's Christian-owned businesses. That's amazing, these partnerships that are being formed. He says, I want to be a part of the global church. We want to be a part of the reinforcement for world missions. And after more than 25 years as a church leader in China, Uncle Daniel sees God's hand in the country, country's economic and political ascent. He says, I believe God will allow China to become strong, not just for political reasons, but for far more his kingdom purposes. So that's a neat story to see. So I want to challenge all of us as individuals, but also as a church, is when someone is doing a ministry somewhere in the world, yes, we need to, to vet that and make sure it's legitimate, but when we do see somebody partner with people so that we can be a part and recognize it's much bigger than just this church, it's God's church worldwide. And so one place you can start is in the church. That's why we talk about getting connected so much. When you're connected to the church, having opportunities to be a part of something here in the church, that helps you connect, not only here, but also a lot of the things we do here goes out worldwide, and we can have a bigger ripple effect that way. So this morning, maybe there's somebody here. We want to offer an invitation as we always do. Maybe there's somebody here today, and, and you need to do what Paul did. Paul thought he had it all figured out. And he, he was on his way doing religion. But when he met Jesus Christ, he recognized it's not about religion. It's about a relationship. And he got an invitation to convert from his way of doing life in this religious thing to a relationship with Christ and to sharing that with other people. And, and Paul was never the same. It transformed his life. And we can have that same transformation in our life. So we're going to offer that opportunity. If you need to name Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I can try to walk you through that today. You can be baptized today. Um, but maybe you're looking for a church home. And y'all, we are not perfect. We do a lot of partnerships. And sometimes those partnerships, you know, there's some tension between those. Sometimes there's some uh, disagreement. Like we see Paul and Acts, he had disagreements sometimes with people. But ultimately, we're a church that says we are moving towards God's kingdom. That's what we're trying to do together as a church. And we would love to have you be a part of that. So we're going to, uh, the, 
praise team here is going to lead us in a song, and we're going to prepare our hearts for communion. This is the time that we do this every week. Um, and uh, if you have a decision to make, I'll be right here. You can walk up. I'll try to walk you through it. If you want to come up here and pray, be glad to pray with you. Um, but we're going to prepare our hearts for communion at this time. And a little bit later, we'll walk, have some scripture and walk you through uh, communion together. So let's stand and sing and uh, prepare our hearts for communion. <clears throat>